Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arsblog 20 podcast series in which we celebrate 20 years of Arsblog by talking to a guest about a calendar year of the site's existence between 2002 and 2022. In this episode, we look back at 2007 and my guest is the man from East Lower. Hello, how are you? I'm okay. 2007, what a year. You were still blogging with frequency and regularity. <laughs> I was, I was. It, it, when we discussed doing this before, I, mm. and we kind of fell upon 2007. I, I think I, I think I texted you and I said, I have absolutely zero recollection of 2007 <laughs> at all. But yes, luckily my blog, which even though I had a one and a half year old at the time, I was still blogging away a lot. So there you go. Um, and so it's been quite helpful. Yeah. 2007, yeah. Well, where are we going to start with this? Because, you know, it's a, it's a, an eventful year, as most of the years have been um, so far and will be as we continue this series from 2002 to 2022. So where do you want to start with this? I thought I'd start at the League Cup final, um, which was Feb, right. February 2007, um, just because it felt like quite an interesting um, for a couple of reasons, mm. really. And I, I think the first one is... Um, well, we lost. We lost to Chelsea, which uh, I know in recent years we've had actually had a pretty, we've got a pretty good record against them in recent years. But um, certainly we lost this one. And it, what was interesting is it was the last ever one at Cardiff. And, you know, I look back with really fond memories of our time in Cardiff. And mm. partly it's because we, we did lose to Liverpool, obviously, 2-1 in, uh, in uh, 2001. But um, we actually had a really good record, won the FA Cup there, 2002, you know, 3-5. and five. Mm. Um and I just remember it really fondly as a place to go and watch football. And I don't know whether, I, I do think it's a much better stadium than Wembley, uh, much more atmospheric. Uh, and there's something also about people from London actually having to go somewhere for a cup final rather right. than being in your own capital, I think. So there was sure. an element of the road trip about it. And I think that added to the excitement. But um, so, yeah, we, we had a good time in Cardiff and this was the last ever one. And of course, we didn't have a good time. But um but yeah, it was. I've just got fond memories of that stadium. Um, it was also an interesting game because um, it was one of the youngest teams uh, ever to win, ever to be in a domestic cup final. Um, and it's quite amazing if you think. Really, it's only what at this point two and a half years after the um, Invincibles. Yeah, and uh, for Wenger to be putting out, you know, two seventeen-year-olds, two nineteen-year-olds, it, it just goes to show how quickly that side, that all-conquering side, was dismantled, really. And and the whole Project U thing that followed it, mm. 
um, was really in full swing by this point. And um, so, you know, we can look back on it now and say it, it was a project that never got us where we wanted it to go. But it was quite also quite exciting to watch some of these players, you know, so DRB and Walcott and players like that, um, you know, mm. as they kind of grew. So it was, it was um, a very, very young side. And Walcott scored his very first goal for yeah. Arsenal, age 17. His very first Arsenal goal. The team that day was Almunia, Justin Hoyt, Armand Traore with the fullbacks, Philippe yeah. Senderos, Colo Toure, Denilson, Diaby, Cesc Fabregas, Jeremy Aliadier, Theo Walcott, and Julio Baptista was the starting eleven that day with Mark Poom, Johan Juru, Manuel Abue, Alex Kleb, and Adi Bayor on the bench. In comparison, Chelsea's side was Czech, Terry, Bridge, Carvalho, Essien, Lampard, Lasana Diara, um, who played for us for a, a hot minute, Claude Makaleli, Michael Balak, Andrei Shevchenko and Didier Drogba. And they had mm. Ashley Cole, Salomon Kalou, uh, John Obi Mikel and Aryan Robin on the bench with a uh, goalkeeper called Hilario, who um, I'm sure is great fun at parties. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I seem to remember that that team selection by Arsene Wenger was quite deliberate in a way because he played a lot of these kids played a lot of these young players in the previous rounds. They'd overcome Liverpool. There was the crazy 6-3 game at Anfield, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is the one that, where Baptista scored uh, four oh, goals. Um, there were two games against Tottenham in the semifinals. Um, yeah. Baptista scored a couple in, in one of those as well. So he kind of wanted to keep faith with these young players and give them an opportunity. But when you look at... like I, I get it, and I think it's in some ways, an admirable approach to something like this. But but when you look at the strength of the Chelsea side and, and just how successful they were and kind of what happened on the day, it, it, yeah, you can look now and think that was pretty inevitable. Yeah, well, we, we you know, I, I, look, I look back at my blog post at the time and, and um, I said, you know, I, I basically said that they did the club and the fans proud because it was such a young side. Mm. But really, like you say, Walcott scored the opening goal and then Drogba basically ground us down. And that's a, a story as old as time, mm. uh, sadly, um, is Ch- Chelsea strikers grinding us down. And, and I think that, that kind of youthful, you know, attempt to win everything with youth or win with youth, it went on for ages. Um, and, you know, it <laughs> uh, had its upsides, but clearly um, it, it, we were a bit too easy to beat. Uh, but it was just it's astonishing. You look back and how quickly um, that, you know, that winning side from 2004 was yeah. dismantled. There was almost nobody left by this point. Yeah, and it was a it was a bit of a mad game as well because it was the game in which um, Abu Dhabi kicked John Terry uh, into Kingdom Come, and he mm. was saved by was it Gary Lewin or Colin Lewin? I can't remember. One of the um, Arsenal physios was there on the side, and it looked like he'd swallowed his tongue and all that kind of stuff. So that was drama. And then, of course, Drogba was you know he was a. a he was just unplayable at times at this point in his career where he was really, really a physical force. And I know poor old Philippe Senderos got um, a hard time because he found it hard to live with Drogba that day. I think there was one of the goals in particular, there was a header where it was just pure power from um, from Drogba. But, you know, that was true of a lot of central defenders in the Premier League and in Europe at that at that time who found it very, very difficult to live with with Drogba. 
Yeah, definitely. And we had a string of Arsenal um, defenders. He wasn't the only one who, for years, struggled with players like that. So, um, I mean, there's no denying he was a brilliant player, but it was frustrating uh, that he, you know, I think psychologically, we were scared of players like him, uh, when especially a young side like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there was a big scrap, two sendings off, um, one of which was Adi Bayor. Yeah, he'd only come uh, on as a sub or something as yeah, well. Alex Oray, uh, John Obi Mikel. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, and like you say, you compare and contrast the two sides. It's chalk and cheese in terms of what they cost and their experience and, yeah. and uh, the result, you know, was a little bit inevitable. Yeah. Ibuwe um, was banned afterwards for um, swinging a punch, I think, at Wayne Bridge, uh, but he missed. Um, <laughs> <but> they, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if he was, yeah, another player at another team, maybe he'd have got away with it, but not not quite so, right? So where where are we going? Go on. Interesting point about Walcott as well. It is his first goal. Mm. He was seventeen, and I don't know about you, but I've just got this really curious relationship with um with with Walcott in terms of what you know what I think about him, and what and I think a lot of Arsenal fans probably do as well, because you know. The, that was the first of many goals for Walcott. He's going up scoring 108 goals, very high up in the Arsenal scoring charts mm-hmm. over time. It was one season, a few seasons later, well, quite a few seasons later, when he was our top scorer and he was playing as a striker. And by all measurements, you know, he was an extremely successful player for Arsenal. He was a very good player. But I also have these memories of him, plenty of them, of him just infuriatingly offside. And, you know, <laughs> lots of things about him where you just he, he was never able to kind of, I don't know, knock him out of his game. Yeah. Well, you look at the stats and, they, and the stats, you know, speak for themselves, don't they? Well, only 13 or 14 players in our entire history, uh, the entire history of this club have scored more goals for Arsenal than Theo Walker. But I, I think you're right. There is a, I always found him an extremely frustrating player because some of the things that he did were so, he made them look so easy. I remember one goal in a European game. I can't remember who it was. We were playing in a, a yellow away kit might have been the same season that we um, Van Persie was sent off against Barcelona. Um, but we broke from deep and he, he was so quick, took the ball into their half, and it was one of those where he was going one-on-one with the goalkeeper and you were expecting him to take it a little bit closer to the keeper before he finished. And he took the finish really, really early and just curled it around him. You know, that pass into the bottom corner of the net, the Thierry Henry finish. And you're looking at him and you're going, wow, you know, to be able to do that, the confidence to do that, the finishing ability to do that. And then he would have games where, like you say, he was offside or he would run the ball out of play or he would, you know, fall over his own feet or, you know, just never see a touch of the ball. It it was... It was frustrating because I think the frustration was was based around a lot of what he did and the good things that he did and just being uh, unable really to do it as consistently as we would have hoped because he did come at 16 years of age with with the promise of something special, you know, and I suppose to be Arsenal's 15th highest goal scorer of all time is, is pretty special in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, I know where you're coming from with, with um, you know, what that perception of him as probably a bit clumsy, a little bit careless at times. And just, and just, you know, almost like, you know, the things you know from the game and he never quite got there. And so, um, mm. so yeah, but this was his first goal and it was a great goal too. So, yeah. 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 That was, um, that was a, a sort of interesting. Um, but we also, League Cup wise, not been a good tournament. Not been a good uh, trainer at all. Not for Arsenal, actually, for ages. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we, it was one that always eluded us, and that one did too. Yeah, painful, painful. All right, what's next? <laughs> well, um, sort of going off the field now a bit, because um, it was quite a monumental year, consider what's happened since, um, for the ownership of the club. Yeah. Because uh, April... Um, we've got Cronky buying 9.9 stake percent stake in from of the club from all of all people ITV. Yeah. I'd completely forgotten that ITV owned some shares in Arsenal. I think it was something to do with the on digital thing from a few years before. But I look back on this, you know, as up a few things about this year, and I thought I have no recollection of that at all. Isn't that funny? Yeah, I mean, there was something to do with the broadband. You remember there there used to be like an Arsenal internet, and you used to, could you get like an Arsenal dot net email address or something like that i can't quite remember i just can't remember no i can't but i mean it was might be related to the itv digital i don't know but um mm. certainly a sort of curious uh, thing to happen and then he bought that and that was the start of um you know very patient growth um of of uh of shares in the club which you know ultimately we you know obviously led to him owning it and buying out all the small shareholders and now being 100% uh, owner of Arsenal. So that all started uh, 2007. It feels like a, you know, a long game that he was playing, really. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, it was followed quite quickly by his departure. Um, when Stan Kroenke bought the ITV shares, David Dean was gone very, very quickly, if I remember. It was only a couple of weeks, something like that. And it was like really sudden, wasn't it? It was all of a sudden there was this... Um, irreconcilable differences situation going on where he was just, he was out the door. And, you know, I think there's a big story there that hasn't really been told in its entirety, to be honest, about how it all went down and what the plan was and all of that kind of stuff. But but pretty much um, my understanding of it is that when Kroenke bought the shares, he was expecting to... Uh, be welcomed as a shareholder and whatever happened the the rest of the arsenal board the shareholders the chairman the danny fisman and and the other big shareholders felt like that situation was hostile and david dean was was pretty quickly um removed from his position at arsenal um, and when you look back on it now and where we are and who owns us and, and everything else, uh, that was that was very much the start of it. It was very much the start of it, wasn't it? And, um, you know, he, he um, sold then sold his shares to Red and White Holdings. So those went off a machinery. And, and that's when, uh, you know, the battle, the battle began. That's it. I mean, the Arsenal Cold War at, at board level, at executive level, that, that had some twists and turns, but ultimately ended up between Kroenke and Usmanov as this this um, situation where Kroenke was never going to sell to Usmanov. Usmanov kept trying to buy things. Uh, Kroenke wouldn't sell. And we had this, in, in essence, a cold war between these two big shareholders that wasn't good for the club. I don't think anyone can look back on that and say that was in any way a healthy situation for Arsenal to be in and to be run because, you know, Kroenke, as the majority shareholder, couldn't be, um, you know, there was nobody could do anything. Even if Usmanov wanted to do something, he couldn't do it. It was only ever really going to end one yeah. way. And we had just had years and years and years and years of, of this um, boardroom battle and, I don't know, it wasn't great. 
No, and 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 you know, in, there's a, there's a whole train of thought, you know, away from the away from the actual kind of nut bolts of selling and buying the shares. But there's a, obviously a train of thought. He left Wenger. I think he admitted later, didn't he, that he nearly very nearly left too, and they were really close. Mm. And Dean was a great football man, able to make some great football decisions, and and. And there's an argument that we never really properly replaced him. That was an argument that rumbled on even to now. Um, How do you view that now? He, like, in, Sorry. How do you view that now yeah. then, knowing that, that it was David Dean who brought Stan Kroenke to Arsenal? It was David Dean who brought Ali Sharuzmanov to Arsenal? Obviously, um, with some ambition, I guess, that with these new owners, he would remain as part of you know, the board or maybe perhaps somebody who was going to have a very strong hand in, in running the club. He got well paid for his shares by Ali Sharuzmanov. And I guess ultimately it didn't really work to the benefit of Arsenal for, for many years. And I'm not doubting his fanhood or anything, anything like that, but I always find it quite curious when people say, well, we never, we never replaced David Dean. We never, you know, we're able to to um, rekindle that magic at executive level, which he had, which I think is true, and and clearly his relationship with Wenger and everything else was was really positive for the club. But it sort of um, abdicates him of his own responsibility for how it all went down, in a way. Yeah, of course, of course, and I think there will always be two sides to the story. Yeah, you know, he brought he was you know he was there I think from 1983, so he was there when George Graham came to the club. Uh, and Wenger, and presided as vice chairman over you know, the most successful period you could argue, bar the 1930s of the of the clubs. So certainly in the in modern times, and mm. so um, you know he was instrumental in that. And and but like you say, the flip side of it is, is that uh, is that um, he ended up selling his shares, and uh, the boardroom struggle that went on after that cannot have um, or didn't you know did not help Arsenal. Uh, in terms of its focus on what it needed to do, which was you know, build build the better you know build a team that could could win the win the title. So um, yeah, it, you know I, I guess that's the the the, the rubber the green, isn't it? You you get you get two sides of the story. Mm. I mean, it was well over a year before we actually made an official appointment to replace David Dean at executive level. Like there were people there, of course, it was Ken Fryer there, Danny Fisman was there, you know, a lot of those, um, you know, board members were there. But as somebody who was going to do a lot of the stuff that, that David Dean did, um, and what I guess Ivan, Ivan Gazidis became, but it was like late 2008, early 2009 before Gazidis came along. Um, and I think the other consequence of it in a way was just how how much power it gave Arsene Wenger over pretty much all the football matters at the club. Because I think with Dean, with yeah. Dean was like a sounding board in a way, wasn't he? They were, to all intents and purposes, a, a double act, where even if Wenger was vacillating over something, which you know we came to understand was part of his nature, Dean might say, well, let's get this done. Whereas without him and with Gazidis, ultimately somebody who Wenger had... Uh, played a part in appointing that dynamic completely changed didn't it so uh, the the consequences of of that departure weren't just at executive level but but all the power that it gave arson yeah, the power it gave arson and the fact that having even more to do than he already had to do yeah uh put uh, you know unimaginable un- unimaginable about amount of pressure on him and um 
you know, that can't have been helpful either, no. to be honest. All right. So, yeah, that, that was the beginning of, of, of that. Yeah, and um, what a that it was. Um, what a that. What's next? Well, I, don't know. I, was, I, was, I was going to talk a bit about Fabregas. Now, I suspect you're going to have about five years running on this where you get somebody talking <laughs> a bit about Fabregas. Because he was, um, you know, for all of the departures of the Invincibles, he was what an absolute, I suppose you could say, one of the, the world-class players that we had in the post-Invincibles era. Um, and maybe we didn't have enough of those players like him. And, you know, he he was he inherited Vieira's number four shirt. He played every single league game 2006 to seven. He won the player of the season that year, 2007, and again, 2008. Um, and I just got a little quote I wrote uh, after we beat United at home mm. um, in late 2007. Uh, and I said, you know, but for me, well, Fabregas, who, whose overall game was just such a joy to watch. He never panics. He finds space when you wouldn't think it was there. He can pass short, he can pass long. And if he's worth anything less than 30 million already, then I'm a Dutchman. <laughs> now, <laughs> 30 million doesn't seem like very much now, but um, it was then. And, um, you know, I think that kind of sums it up. He just, he really was there, even at 19, and he'd been playing for a couple of seasons by this point. Even at 19, he was an absolutely phenomenal player. And and he was, he was able to elevate Arsenal uh, in that midfield when, uh, you know, many of his teammates at the time weren't able to do it. So, um, you know, we really were beginning the sort of era of Fabregas at this point, and it was an absolute pleasure to have him. And I look back with such fondness on on his time at Arsenal. He was a phenomenal player. Yeah, unbelievable, and and clearly the the main building block of that um, of that youth project and and what Arsene Wenger was trying to do. And I I'm sure when he thinks back in his career, Arsene Wenger has plenty of regrets about things he did and didn't do. But I I, I can't. I can't help but think that if he could change maybe just one thing um, beyond something like the Champions League final in 2006, if he could change one thing, it'd be getting Fabregas, the midfield partner that he absolutely deserved because he was such a, as you say, phenomenal player, an incredible talent unbelievable maturity at such an early age that point about finding space where you don't think it was there not only did he find space where you didn't think it was there while he was finding space he was looking up to see who was moving where the pass was and how quickly he could move the ball there that's you know my my abiding memory of him is him just scanning as the ball comes to him before he he moves it off and I do think that that is something that Wenger made a mistake with that that he asked Fabregas to carry midfield partners who weren't up to the task who weren't ready even someone like Alex Song who you know in time developed into an okay player but for a long yeah, time you know wasn't Danielson who started out quite well but faded Diaby who was who was pretty much um you know ruined by that injury as much as he tried and as hard as he tried he just never had the the partnerships there i remember I can't remember exactly what year it was, but I do remember writing a blog post saying, God, I wish we would sign Mikel Arteta from Everton because I think he would be such a great addition to the midfield to play with 
Fabregas, not as a replacement for him as he kind of turned out to be in a way. Um, yeah. But well, yeah. he's he, he fitted that mold, Arteta, because this is another curious thing that I've, you know, if I was ever able to ask Wenger one question, mm. uh, you know, it would be how, you know, what, why did you go from having really powerful, as in physically powerful, centre midfield, um, which you did, uh, and then and then you you you, 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 know, you pivoted to technically great players, but quite small players. Mostly, I mean, mm. I know DRB was quite tall, but you know, they were, and 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 I think there's another thing that you kind of think: we well, did, did we, could we, or would we have benefited from having more power as well as the panache mm. and the skill in that middle to to really? Because I think p- people lost the fear factor of Arsenal, and 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 some of that was down to our we were quite a small side physically, mm. and and he never, you know, that that kind of size element never. Uh, the sort of Vieira replacement thing, I know it's a cliche, but it never really happened, did it? No. And it sort of came at a time when the the Arsenal don't like it up and thing was in full swing and we saw injuries to players and we saw the team get bullied um, because they were young and they were maybe a bit small. Um, and I know when I did that, that podcast over the, the lockdown or the pandemic with Sesk, he... You know, we spoke about the Chabi Alonso thing and and how, what a game changer that might have been. You know, not just for him, but for Arsenal to have a player of that caliber in the middle of the field with him. Um, but yeah, his emergence was, it was amazing to watch, really, wasn't it? When you consider his age and just how good he was from basically the first moment he he got into the team. I don't mean the the League Cup, but when he started in that that Charity Shield game that year. Um, against United uh, and was just so good you could see well look there's only one place this is going um, you don't start aged what was it 15 years and something or certainly 16 when yeah. he made his debut you don't start at that age if you haven't got something special you don't yeah. find players that come along like that very frequently to be honest yeah. and the other thing about him he wasn't just technically brilliant he had an edge to him he really wanted to win mm. and you know and, and I think we lacked a bit of that as well I think we lacked a bit of guile um uh, you know, at times, um, but he was uh, he 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 had a bit of that as well. So he he really was the kind of all round package. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look, look back very fondly at his time at Arsenal. You know, that goal he scored straight after the kickoff against Spurs. Was, <laughs> it, was it was so it was so quick that the camera was nowhere to be seen, and that kind of summed him up. He was always on. You know, he was always spot, spotting that opportunity and always you know never never ever resting on his laurels. So. Mm. Um, you know, for, for all of the um, downsides of these few years at Arsenal, when we, you know, we, we were sort of very much nearly men, um, he was definitely um, a very good memory. Yeah, I know a lot of people have their own, people have their own opinions about, you know, how he left and where he ended up after Barcelona and all that kind of stuff, which I completely understand, but just absolutely one of my favourite Arsenal players ever. Ever. Um, and, you know, I wish we could have kept him longer and I wish we could have built a better team around him, uh, but we didn't. And there you go. So um, who, where are we going next? Well, you can't mention 2007 without mentioning Thierry Henry's departure. Mm. So, um, you know, we're talking about good good goal scorers in, in Theo <laughs> Walcott. Well, we had the absolute ultimate best one who, who, who left in 2007 and um, 228 goals later. Um, and, you know, actually I look back at what I wrote about it when he left, um, and I realize it wasn't quite so smooth as I 
recalled it. So I, I said, you know, some people will chide him for courting Barcelona and for being too vocal about Dean's departure, others for his uncaptain-like strops. And more still may take him to task on his occasional selfish play. Me, I just like to remember the positives. So there's me, maybe not quite remembering all the positives, but um, yeah, actually, you know, those last few months, uh, or maybe even year or so, I remember we were all desperate for him to stay, but kind of wondering whether it was also the right time for him to go. Um, but that was the year he finally did. And, um, you know, you, again, almost impossible to replace a player like him, certainly with the regularity, goal-scoring regularity that he he, he gave Arsenal. And again, talking of power and pace and everything, he had the lot. What a sensational player he was. Yeah. Um, my My... <sighs> recollection of it and again this is 15 years ago so my mind could be playing tricks with me I know that last season was quite difficult and there were some injury problems as well weren't there there was like a an ongoing back problem sciatica or something like that um and there were stories about you know maybe some um issues with Arsene Wenger or some behavioural problems. I can't quite remember. But I sort of, when I when I think about it, it sort of just happened, but it was ongoing. There was all sorts of stories in the in the, the press and, you know, the Spanish press, um, we've been well acquainted with them down the years, was yeah. full of stories about, well, the move is imminent, it's just a matter of time, all those kind of buzzwords about how it happened. And then it was, what, towards the end of June? Uh, when he left mid to, to late June. Um, and he talked about David Dean, didn't he? He said, David Dean is no longer there and this has destabilized the team and the manager. And he made some uh, comment about Arsene Wenger's contract and put some doubt over that and and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, he might have gone the year before, of course, um, when, yeah. we, when we played Barcelona in the, in the Champions League final. And, and maybe... He stayed a year when he didn't necessarily want to stay a year. Yeah, and it was another saga, a bit like Vieira's. Mm. Will he go? Will he stay? Um, so, so um, yeah, in the end, he did, and actually, obviously, he had a heroic comeback some years yeah. later. So, um, you know, that was um, that was quite a nice uh, bookend to his Arsenal career. But, um, but that was the year he he went. And actually, I was thinking more widely about we, we mentioned it a little earlier about the invincible side, and and maybe I just need to let it go. <laughs> but um, you know that year, Henri left, Lauren left, Campbell left, Lundberg, Reyes, Aliadier. Um, I don't think there were many left by that point, and it's not that long after. You know, maybe that team was always on the down. Yeah, you know, once it did that, mm. but um, you know, it was it was a very quick dismantling. Um, so so yeah, on, on to new times and um, uh, and away from the old. But um, it was it was quite you know quite a big year for that. It was emotional, wasn't it? Because he, he'd been so talismanic is the wrong word. He was just such a big part of everything that had been good about us for the previous years. And like I'm sure you remember at the time when we sold Nicholas and Elka and we signed Thierry Henry from Juventus. And at the time he was, you know, wasn't really playing as a striker. He was playing as a winger, a wing back at times. He wasn't scoring goals. And... I think there was trust in Arsene Wenger at that time. But also, I'm not sure too many people were convinced, including Henri himself, that he was going to come in and, and become what he became at Arsenal, the player he became. And clearly the, the conditions 
and the coaching and the players he had around him and the team he was in and the environment that he was in were were just the the you know the Goldilocks porridge whatever you want to call it everything was just right for him to become absolutely the best player that he could ever hope to have become you know um and yeah. it, you know for to see a player do that to arrive at Arsenal when people are going is this guy going to score any goals there's no way he's going to be as good as Nicolas Anelka I mean, you look back now, and, and Wenger has said it more than once, like the plan was for Henri and Anelka. That's what he has always said. He, Jesus, imagine. Imagine. Fucking yeah, hell. <laughs> I know. And, and actually, we were still in the era um, when he signed for Arsenal, when, when Wenger was really steps ahead of most other managers in, in, in terms of knowing what the market, like especially the French market, yeah. not just... Um, but, but you know, it, knowing which who was out there with Vieira and Henri, uh, he found two cheap-ish gems. Um, and I think most of the other cl- clubs ended up catching up, you know, expanding their scouting networks, doing whatever they did. But they mm. caught up. Uh, but at that time, he was, um, you know, he really had an eye for it. And 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 Henri was the to me the epitome of his ability to spot a player who is that classic mix. It's a bit like what I tell. Is trying to do now in that he, what he wants is players who's, who are hungry, um, but have something to prove. Mm. And and I think Omri was very much in that mould. You know, same as Vieira, they had gone to a big club and it hadn't worked. They were young, and they had something to prove, and um, persuaded them to come to Arsenal. And you know, boy, did they prove um, us all, uh, you know, prove Wenger right. So yeah, yeah, I, he really was a, a, a had, had that incredible touch at the time. Wenger, which um, you know, kind of deserted him uh, after a while, um, just because I think other teams caught up and there was you know other teams. You know, these things happen. But yeah. Henri was one. You know, was an absolute gem. Sixteen million still feels a bit cheap, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Although at the time, I think it was a lot of money. But, yeah, um, I, have to, I, I remember thinking at the time. Okay, look, I know he's heading towards the September of his career, but still, 16 million, that's... He was 30 yeah. years of age, though, I suppose. Well, he was 30, he was 29 or 30. And I don't know, it's probably a contractual thing by that point, wasn't yeah. it? How much longer did he have left on his I can't even remember. No, he'd now, signed but, um, a new contract after the Champions League final because that was, that was, I think, a thing that annoyed some people was that he signed a new contract and got a very um, big signing-on fee, a loyalty bonus, if you like, and then left the following year. So I don't, I don't quite know. Are you know. telling me that somebody getting a big contract uh, in the autumn of their career isn't always a good idea? It's a remarkable thing to consider, I know. But there you go. We we yeah. we should mention, I suppose, the 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 player who we brought in to replace him, and it was a very Arsene Wenger like signing, and and one of the last signings, I think, in the internet era when nobody had a clue, not a single person had a clue that Eduardo da Silva was gonna uh, was gonna come into the club. Um, so yeah. Maybe that is just worth mentioning for that alone. Simply the the out of the blue factor of that um, is not yeah. something that you can replicate these days. No, God no. It's well, it's a, you know, it's it's almost forensic what you know about who who's going where yeah. and, um, or who's who fancies who and all that kind of stuff. It's yeah. it's amazing. But yeah, he was a you know another player who who would have been well. It's kind of. Would have, could have, should have, and all that. But obviously, not. Uh, it's not 2007, but it's not long after. I think it's early 2008 when he, yeah. his leg snapped against, and, and, and 
Gallas has his meltdown and, you know, it's a very easy, one of these, it's not always easy to mention, you know, to see moments that change time, but that was one of them for him, especially. Yeah. But for Arsenal too. Yeah. Uh, uh, a Brazilian who'd become a Croatian international. Uh, we signed him from Dinamo Zagreb. And I think it was just really beginning to, to grow into the team and to get used to English football. And then the injury happened, but uh, yeah, yeah. A, a big shame. Okay. We've got one more thing. So what are we going to talk about? Well, before before we move on, I just wanted to say something that I wrote, which um, was uh, when Lauren left in 2007, I think I said, now Wenger can concentrate on moulding Ebue and Hoyt. So, you know, <laughs> hindsight is a wonderful thing, and I don't think it worked out. <laughs> yeah. No, it's fair to say that that didn't quite go as well as we might have liked when, when Lauren Not left. As well as but, you yeah. know, I think, was it that summer... It was that summer of 2007 when we, we signed Bakary Sanya from Auxerre. So, yeah. you know, Hoyt and Abue were yesterday's men at that point because Sanya came in and was, was a really fantastic signing. One of the most consistent players of that period in our history, that sort of difficult 2007 yeah. to 2014 kind of period where... The trophy drought became a big thing and, and um, the team was a lot more inconsistent and, and everything else. But he was certainly one of the, the more consistent players. Yeah, he was. He was a, fa he was a fabulous player, really. Mm. Really you know, made the places, made, made the slot his own and um, some good memories of yeah. him against Spurs too. Sure. I mean, I'm, I do remember people say, but do we need a right back? Do we even need a right back? Mm. And yes, we did. Yes. We did. We did. We did. So the last thing which I've got to talk about this year and, you know, is 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 actually, despite me criticising various elements of our recruitment strategy for the, <laughs> you know, the last uh, 36 minutes, we, we were actually top at Christmas. Wow. Top at Christmas in 2007. And I believe that was the last time that we were. Ever? Surely not. Well, well since then. Um yeah, I th well, I think so. But again, uh, my internet, my Googling might have failed me there. But um, certainly in December of that year, we had, we won 14 from 21 points. We smashed Everton away 4-1, um, you know, 47 points from 20. So, um, of course, inevitably, Wenger got asked at Christmas time, um, could we go unbeaten again? Because obviously that's what people ask Wenger. And he said, people will talk, just let us play. And then we lost at Borough. Right. As you do in the in, in the new year, so um, I think it was an un, eighteen games unbeaten. That's pretty good in the run up to Christmas. Mm. Forty seven points, oh. top of the table. Manchester United second on forty five, Chelsea <laughs> third on forty one points, and at the end of the season, where were we? Where did we finish that year? Third with eighty points. Third. Wow. Yeah, that was that was a year when. Yeah, that season, and we'll obviously talk about this a bit more in the 2008 episode, but yeah, where where a title was certainly possible. And you wonder, it was a bit of a sliding doors moment, that one, wasn't it? Because what it might have given that group of players, because it wasn't until quite late in the season. I remember a game against Man United, maybe Owen Hargreave scoring a, a free kick, mm. which pretty much put pay to our chances of, of, of um, continuing to fight for the title. 
Well, yeah, and, and like you say, I, I think as you say, it's one for two thousand and eight. But that it's very rare you can pinpoint a, a single game where your fortunes fundamentally changed. And mm. that Birmingham away one was was that game. I don't think um, you know they were ever quite the same after that. So, yeah. uh, so that young team did, you know, did it wasn't like it was without um, without its strengths. It really was, but it just never had uh, quite enough to, you know, when when spring turned and, and the pressure hit hard and stuff it, it was it just wasn't quite there yeah what might have been eh what might have been what might have been yeah and uh, you look you look at us now and um you know we toiled we toil away and we, and at the time we thought you know fourth is no trophy and it was all a big thing but now christ you'd take fourth wouldn't you yeah i would take fourth and i take i take uh some hair on my head again as I had back in 2007. <laughs> I'd take the capacity to remember anything that happened in a, in a year, sure. 15 years. That'd I know. Be nice. Wouldn't that be fun? Anyway, at least we have a, 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 a documentation of our, of our uh, years as uh, Arsenal bloggers and everything else. But uh, look, we will leave it there, Jim. Thank you very much uh, for taking the trip down memory lane with us, 2007. Um, really appreciate it. And uh, keep up the... Um, fine if very occasional blogging these days it's very infrequent but I will do my best and it's, yeah, it's been fun chatting about stuff um, 2007 quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You can follow Jim on Twitter. He is at East Lower, at East Lower, and very occasionally he picks up the blogging quill and parchment and sticks down some thoughts at eastlower.co.uk. That's eastlower.co.uk. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Plenty more to come, of course, in this series. But for now, we will leave it there. So until the next one, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.